So that's what we're pretty much going to talk about for the whole lowdown is all the things that Apple announced during WWDC. So the which was a lot. Yes, it was definitely was a lot. Definitely was a lot. So we'll we'll probably spend like I said, we will definitely spend the whole lowdown where we talk all things Apple or we might as well change it to all things WWDC. You're listening to the Snob OS podcast, the podcast for Apple snobs. Yo, this is Terrence Gaines, a.k.a. Brother Tech. And this is Nika Monford, a.k.a. Tech Savvy Diva. And you're listening to the Snob OS Podcast, the podcast for Apple snobs, where we talk all things Apple and then some. So how was your week? Uh, not too bad. Just kind of, you know, here. <laughs> so we did uh, We did go on uh, Daily Tech News on Monday, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, but but before that, uh, it was Father's Day. Uh, it was yeah. Juneteenth. So did you have mm-hmm. any other uh, plans that you did? What, what would you have going on for the whole entire weekend? Oh, so um, Friday I took off um, for Juneteenth. I was expecting, you know, I work for a big company. I was expecting them to give us that holiday and they did not. Um, so I went ahead and, and took that Friday off. And in my out of office, I put Juneteenth uh, holiday and, you know, alluded to that. And I was so surprised at the amount of messages I got back from people that said, man, I should have done that. I was like, man, that's great that you included that in your out of office. I should have done that. I should take nearly. So I was really surprised that other people um, didn't, didn't know that same, or didn't that do it. Thing, d- didn't do it okay. or have that same thought because the responses were, wow, I should have done that too. I didn't think to do that. And so that was a bit shocking at the amount of people who said that, man, they wish they had done it, you know, being from black people. And then also from some of my white coworkers who was like, oh my God, that's, that's great. That's a great idea. Um, I, I hope, and people, uh, you know, ping me, hope you enjoy your, your holiday. And when I got back, you know, people like, how was your, how was your holiday? So I don't know if it's because people are now more aware mm-hmm. or if they, you know, genuinely care or if it says, one of those things. Well, I'm not one of those white people. I'm not racist. I promise. So it's kind of hard to to determine what you know the motivating factor was. But overall, just the fact that um, you know people are acknowledging acknowledging it and and taking notice. You know what whether their intentions were honorable or not. Um, just the fact that it's it's definitely being you know more visible is 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 good. Um, for Father's Day, um, me and my brother, we didn't go home, but um, we did send a present and we FaceTimed. So he didn't want, you know, his traditional like Father's Day gift this year. He said he wanted something like, you know, handmade that like meant something. And we didn't do the handmade part, but we did get him like a digital, you know, photo frame and just like put pictures and stuff in it so that you know he can have that at the house so that was that um i did brave the the new world i went to brunch on saturday for a friend's birthday um surprisingly that wasn't too bad you know everybody in the restaurant of course it was limited seating had to have a reservation 
Um, all of the staff had gloves and masks on. Um, everybody was social distancing. Um, they had the seating, you know, social distance. So, you know, that was interesting to be outside and, you know, kind of in the wild, so to speak. So that was cool. And then um, on Monday, we did uh, the Daily Tech News Show. All right. All right. You are an actual father. So how was your actual father's day? Uh, yeah, everything went cool. You know, for the past couple of years, my re- Father's Day request has been to be left alone. So <laughs> my family obliged. Uh, we do the whether it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, we do the breakfast in bed. So the kids help whoever the parent is on duty for, uh, helps make breakfast for the mother or the father, depending on whose day it is. So mm-hmm. it was my turn to be served. So the family made me breakfast in bed. Uh, they gave me some presents, you know, some of the things we we are not the surprise me type family. So it's like put together a list, share it in a <laughs> note. And if you get some of this stuff, you get it and then, you know, just be surprised. So they got me some of the things on my list, uh, as always, that's always going to be on my list, whether I say it or not. They uh, my daughter, my middle daughter bought me a, a big old jar full of M&M peanut M&Ms, which is my favorite candy on earth. So they did that. I got a, a gaming chair, which I'm sitting in now. This kind of doubles as my office chair. So nice. Yeah. So when I'm not doing a podcast or doing anything office related, I'll be using it as my gaming chair, which is what I did all Sunday long. And um, uh, we ate normally for Father's Day or Mother's Day. You know, it's at the request of the person's uh, day what they want for dinner. But since I grilled for Juneteenth, because I also took a day off. Uh, on Friday for Juneteenth, I actually, you know, put more of an effort into the day. So, uh, cleaned off the grill, you know, uh, cooked some chicken and some hot dogs and sausages and just and shrimp kebabs and, you know, went all out on the grill. So, uh, we did that on Friday. Uh, surprisingly, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do, do the fireworks thing too. So if we're going to treat this as, you know, oh, black, so you went all the way. Yeah, out. yeah. yeah. So went, went to the fireworks uh, shop on Friday and everything was buy one, get two free. So I ended really? up with a trunk full. Well, because you got to understand nobody really celebrates Juneteenth like that. So in the fireworks shop, it's just Friday. So when they're off season, they're trying to make sales. So it's like buy one, get two free because nobody's really shopping in there. So I had to ask them two or three times. I'm like, are you sure all this stuff? If I buy one, I get I two, get free. two free. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything on this aisle and this aisle. And I was like, are y'all sure? They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're sure. <laughs> so I, needless to say, um, I got a trunk full of stuff for a super, stockpile helps for super, uh, super cheap. Um, again, like I said, if it was, July 3rd, that stuff would be regular price and it would be packed. I was the only person in there, you know, and everybody had on masks and gloves. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I got free range on the fireworks shop for the low, low. So, uh, then we, you know, did the grilling thing on Friday, ate food, um, did, shot off the fireworks, which my kids are not, and my wife are not a fan of, cause these are the real fireworks. These are not, you know, uh, 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 black cats, little firecrackers. Mm-hmm. You know, these are real ones that you, you know, you have to put in the ground and fire oh, off. Like yeah. The rocket yeah. Like the rocket ones. Cause oh they were so cheap. I was like, well, why, might as well. So, you know, did a couple of those. My wife uh, just knew that 
we were going to knock somebody's window out because because <laughs> <laughs> the, the rocket ones you shoot in the air. And then my youngest son, you know, this first time he hearing fireworks, so he wasn't feeling it. And then my middle <laughs> daughter, she's always been scared of fireworks and loud noises. So they were in the house uh, looking out the window. And then, so once I got my feel, so it was just basically it was just for me, basically. Yeah. So after then I was like, we're going to let you get that off real uh-huh, quick. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 So then after I got my, my feels in, then I uh, whipped out the sparklers. So they spent the next hour running around in the dark with the sparklers. So, so we had the night. They're fine. It's yeah. the noise that they have a it's problem It's the noise with. and the loud crackles and the pops, you know, nope. so that, that's the ones they had a problem with. So we did that all Friday night. And then that leads me to. Father's Day, because normally on Father's Day, you know, or Mother's Day, whoever's day it is, we get to designate what we're eating for dinner. Well, since I'd already went through all this effort of doing all this grilling on Friday and had it left over for Saturday, we might as well eat it again on Sunday. So that's what we did on Sunday night. You know, did the leftover father's gift that father's food that I ended up making for myself, basically. So, (laughs) well, that was cool. And then, uh, Monday was double duty. Uh, like we mentioned, you know, we went on, uh, like Nika mentioned, rather, we went on the Daily Tech News show as uh, co-hosts. So we kind of talked about all things Apple specifically because Monday was WWDC. Uh, so they announced a whole bunch of stuff as a waste to all their operating systems, all their software, a little bit of hardware. We'll get into that a little bit later. But also on Monday was my middle daughter's 10th birthday. So uh, after we did the show, had to hurry up and go upstairs and, you know, sing happy birthday, do the gifts for my middle daughter, who, like I mentioned, turned 10. So we got her some nice, cool stuff for her birthday. You know, went out, had a nice little birthday as much as we could do for um, coronavirus and being shut in. Right. Because normally on double digits, like big, big, major holidays, big birthdays, birthdays yeah. like 10, 10 year old, 12 year old, so on and so forth. We let them invite a bunch of their friends and then we do whatever they want to do. So if they want to go to the movies, we'll take them to the movies. If they like one year, one of the girls went go kart riding, we'll take them that. If most likely if we weren't shut in, we probably would have went to the pool because my middle daughter loves to, you know, swim or we would have went to Six Flags, one of the two. Mm-hmm. But since we couldn't do that, you know, we act we did the best we could and I think she enjoyed it. So that was our four day weekend. At, at a glance for to, to summarize. So it was busy, uh, but I had a good time nevertheless. Cool. Yep. So uh, like I mentioned before, you know, we on Monday, we also were guests on the Daily Tech News show with Tom Merritt and Sarah Lane. Uh, we they pretty much let us help them summarize the WWDC. For those who don't know, it's a worldwide developer, uh, worldwide developers conference for Apple that they throw out, throw for all of the developers to kind of see the new things that Apple is doing, all of the iOS stuff. So that's what we're pretty much going to talk about for the whole lowdown is all the things that Apple announced during WWDC. So the, which was a lot. Yes, it was definitely was a lot. Definitely was a lot. So we'll we'll probably spend, like I said, we will definitely spend the whole lowdown where we talk all things Apple, or we might as well change it to all things WWDC. So uh, the first day of the developers conference, actually the developers conference as, as a whole is like what a week long. It's a whole week. Yeah. But it starts with the, um, the, the what keynote. do you call it? Keynote. Oh, I can't think of the word. <laughs> it starts with a keynote, which normally is open to the public, but since it was virtual because of, you know, the coronavirus, they made it, you know, uh, virtual for everybody. And uh, like, I didn't see a lot of the uh, comments that Tom Merritt and, 
the DTNS crew um, had, but they mentioned that a lot of people were kind of in their feelings a little bit about the fact that since it was virtual, it wasn't live. It was clear that they did a, a pre-production to where they taped everything, did all the segues ahead of time to where it was a nice fluid presentation. And I, it sounded like a lot of people really wasn't feeling that. I, I don't know what you got on your end. I didn't see that on my timeline. I, on my timeline, I saw mostly most people just, you know, talking about, you know, what was coming, but I didn't see a lot of, a lot of, uh, discord um about the the presentation itself but i'm also not surprised i mean you have to think about it the the people who go to wwdc are so hardcore apple developers they know what they like it's been a certain way for umpteen years they in all likelihood i'm suspecting they thought that they would get the same wwdc keynote first day mm-hmm. as they normally get. I don't think they expected as much production that went into it, which I personally liked. Right. Right. Um, but I think a lot of them were expecting to see, you know, the stage set up and, you know, Tim opening up, you know, talking on the screen, you know, I, I'm thinking they, that's what they were expecting. It's just no crowd, like, the same, right. the same event with just no crowd and they walking right. up, which would have been kind of lame because, you know, they look for the, you know, reaction from the crowd and every time they announce something, they kind of pause and wait for people to clap, whether it be because it was something interesting or just that's what you do during this pause. Right. So it would have been kind of awkward if they were kind of trying to do it that way and not have that reaction from the crowd. So I'm kind of glad that they decided, well, we're just going to do, you know, a pre-production because, like I said, it was nice and fluid. You know, no, uh, I think. People kind of are waiting for the cringy moments. I think Sarah Lane mentioned it. You know, they're waiting for those cringy moments to where uh, the part of the presentation doesn't work or the the demo that they're trying to do doesn't kind of follow along with the script. You know, mm-hmm. I think people kind of maybe look forward to that. I don't know, like a NASCAR car crash, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, but none he, of that. Go ahead. No, just say, but nonetheless, I take advantage of the situation. They have the opportunity to plan to script out, to have different locations and different setups. If you know that this is what it's going to be, why not make the best of it? And I think for the production value, I think they made the best of of what they had, especially with the different locations for each of, you know, the features that they were talking about. Right. I personally liked it. Okay. All right. All right. So, let, well, let's get into it. So, uh, probably the, the, the bulk of the show was spent on iOS 14, which is the next upcoming iOS that will be probably launched in the fall sometime, probably right before the iPhone 12. So I'll yep. get into just get right into some of the highlights. Probably the thing that was the most remarkable for iOS 14 were widgets for those who are not familiar or for those who have only been on iOS and never been on Android or Windows phone. Uh, Android currently, but Windows Phone kind of started the whole widgets on the home screen to where you could resize the widgets. So instead of just seeing all of the app squares, the same size on your home screen as before, now you can customize those uh, icons into actual widgets to where you can change the size. You can change the information that's being displayed and just give you more of an at a glance of the different apps or the different information that you can see from those apps. For example, uh, if you uh, make the activity um, activities widget larger and expand it. You can actually, instead of just seeing like the rings and the amount of 
activity on those rings, you can actually see the, the, the counts for your day, how many calories you've burned, how many, how many minutes you spent exercising, how many hours you spent standing, so on and so forth. If you expand a music widget, you can, instead of just seeing like a album cover, you'll actually see the album name and artist name, things of that nature. So it gives you more uh, at a glance information. So one of the questions that I asked during the uh, DTNS show was, were the ad uh, widgets going to be the for the traditional live tiles that if you're not familiar, Windows Phone had the same type of functionality first to where you could actually interact with the widgets. So you could actually click on the widget or scroll up and get more information. Well, with the I did some research and the uh, widgets for iOS are read only widgets. And I'll just read this quote widgets display relevant, relevant, glanceable content letting users quickly get to your app for more details. Widgets present read only information and don't support interactive elements such as scrolling elements or switches. So you can't turn things on and off. Like if you had a, a Bluetooth widget, you couldn't from that widget toggle on and off Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or whatever the case may be. You would actually have to click on the widget. It would open up that particular area, whether you're in settings or you're in, in that app, and then you can interact with the functionality. So it'll just be, on screen information. So it'll show you the weather. It'll show you the time. If you have time widget, you know, it'll show you the album and artist and album cover. Uh, if you have a music widget, so on and so forth. So this, that's one of the main things about the widgets. There was a couple a little bit more information about the widgets. Like for instance, you can add a smart stack of widgets that intelligently, intelligently curate or curated based on the apps you use most. So if you wanted to scroll up and actually see the widgets that you see, you interact with the most, the iOS will kind of, um, curate that information for you based on your usage. So, um, that was pretty much it for the widgets. There was a couple other things, but I wanted to get to you and talk about this new app library. We kind of touched on it on the DTNS show, but I wanted to ask you again about this new app library that automatically organizes all your apps into one simple and easy to navigate view instead of having to scroll through page after page after page or folder after folder after folder. Since they're organizing that for you, you know, how are you going to feel about kind of giving up some of that control if it's automatically done for you? Um, it, it just all depends on how much I can customize it. Mm -hmm. Um, like, like I said on the show, um, and I, I think I've said on our show before, I, I have some OCD tendencies and one of my OCD tendencies is that all of my apps have to be in folders on my phone and all those folders have to be in alphabetical order and all the apps inside those folders have to be in alphabetical order. It just makes the most sense for me. It's. I know which page, what is, what I'm looking for is on. I don't have to like scroll through a thousand things. I just know, you know, where everything is. Mm -hmm. And so it just depends on how much customization that they give me with this app library deal, or if I can opt out of it if I want to. So um, I'm not sure. I guess I'll just have to see. But right. my setup that I have now it works pretty well for me. So if they aren't, you know, improving my productivity with the way that I have it laid out now, then I'm not going to be too happy with it. But right. people who just have apps just all willy nilly on their phone, that gives me the heebie jeebies. But it would probably be helpful for people who may not have them as organized as I do. And like right. some of my, you know, folder names are like odd. So I, 
like I said, I would be interested to see how much customization they will allow you for, you know, the way you group apps and the way that you name them. Because some of the way that I have my apps grouped, probably if, if we're using like an automated system with this app library, they probably wouldn't all be in the right place. Right, right. Well, I would assume they would give you the option to, to activate it or deactivate it. And I'm, I would hope that they would give you the ability to rename some of the app folders that they, uh, app library folders that they create for you. Uh, there are some that are automatic that, for instance, there's a suggestions app library that gives you a list of all your frequently used apps. And once you use the most, they'll kind of put that in a folder automatically. And then there's a recently added to where, you know, if you download a bunch of apps, you know, those, those will show. But I think the rest of the app folders will be something based on categories. And then I would assume, like I mentioned before, you could kind of customize those names and maybe even rearrange the apps that you see that are uh, displayed first before you actually go into that folder and scroll through all the apps that are in that folder. So I'm hoping that they give you that functionality or at the very least, let you turn it off for your sake. <laughs> yeah. And they probably will, especially since they're uh, some of the, you know, stuff we'll talk about later. Um, they are giving you a little bit more flexibility on, on how you want your screen to look and how you want it to behave. So hopefully they will allow that type of flexibility. So uh, it won't be too bad, but you know, for me, I already have it set up essentially the already the way the app library would set it up. So it would just be interesting to see. I'll probably try it on a secondary device and not my primary device because I would hate to have to go back and have to redo it all. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, a couple other things in iOS, uh, compact calls. I think a lot of people, uh, present company included, complain that when somebody uh, rang your phone, the phone image took up the entire screen or who was calling in their phone number. Now they've made that compact to where it shows up at the top of the screen, almost like a notification that uh, scrolls down from the top and gives you the option to answer or ignore it and actually see who was calling with a image icon. If you have that person saved in your contacts with a profile image, give you picture in picture. So now when you're like watching a video whether it be from YouTube or TikTok or FaceTime or whatever the case may be, um, you can watch um, those videos in a small picture in picture while you use another app. So if you needed to scroll through your calendar messages, you know, Safari, whatever the case may be, you can do that while still have a picture in picture of whatever video chat or phone call or FaceTime that you have set up. Uh, messages was a big one. Uh, they are doing two things that I wanted to mention. Uh, pinned conversations. So like if you're constantly, frequently talking to the same person most of the time and you don't want to get that, get that conversation lost in some of the other ones, you can pin that to the top. Uh, Similar like uh, Twitter, you you know, you think of like these next couple of features, they kind of pull from Twitter. So you can pin, pin a thread or in this case, case, pin a conversation to the top of the screen. That's always there Uh, inline threaded messages. So instead of it just doing line by line by line, if you're in a group with somebody or like a group of a group, um, a group conversation and you wanted to, you want to reply to that one person or that one reply, you can actually just reply to that and it'll put it in that threaded or inline message format and then mentions. So if you're also in a group chat and you're talking to somebody and you want to reference that particular person, you can at them similar like a Twitter at response. And you'll only get notifications when somebody reply. You can you can 
set it up rather to where if you want to only get notifications from any sort of replies from that at reply, you know, your, your phone will get notified on that. So you're not getting pinged on every single response in a threaded message. You'll just get a, a, a notification from that uh, response from any of those at messages. So I wanted to highlight that because that seems pretty interesting. Um, uh, more Memoji. Uh, Wait, one know. second before you, before you go to Memoji, I was just going to co-sign that. It definitely gave me Twitter vibes with the pin conversations, the inline threads and the apps. When I saw it, I was like, oh, this is very much, they definitely, you know, took a little bit of of, of UI from uh, and, and and process from from Twitter. Yeah, uh, WhatsApp does it as well. Uh, pretty good. Um, Facebook kind of does it. It's not the same. You know, you the, maybe it's because there's just too many people on Facebook. It doesn't work the same. But the the idea is still there to where you can directly quote unquote at somebody and only get notifications on those people. So that's a definitely needed or w- a welcomed. Uh, update for iOS 14 for messages. Uh, yep. Keep it going. Uh, more emoji. You know, you get different hairstyles, uh, different glasses, different you know, pick color pigments, you know, skin pigmentation. Uh, one of the masks that they highlighted had mask. One of them emoji. You know, you can put a mask on them. You know, I, <laughs> you know, f- for the whole COVID 19, you know, mask thing. Maybe, maybe uh, letting your avatar put on a mask will compel. A lot of these people who are not putting on their mask to finally start to adhere and listen to the health professionals and wear their masks. It's only one hope. <laughs> oh God, these people, these masks. Yeah, they. Oh. I mean, outright not wearing them, and then and they, I don't see how they can. They're saying it's political. How is science? It 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 has nothing to do with politics. It's it's science. Yeah. If you wear the mask you have a less likely chance of catching COVID. And if you want to go out so bad, the, the least you could do is put on a mask. But I guess anyway, that's a whole nother subject. That's for a whole nother guy. <laughs> but yeah. at the very least, you know, for those of us who you know, are following the rules, if you want your emoji to follow the rules, you can put that mask on your emoji. If you do use them, um, Apple maps has some additional features like uh, cycling directions. So if you bike a lot, It'll give you directions, you know, to keep you safe when you're on uh, while you're drive, while you're biking. Rather, uh, you can also see elevation, busy streets. You can see stairs and steep passages when you're planning your trip. So, uh, the the uh, the demo that I saw, your uh, your maps app will actually notify you if you have to get off your bike to you know, ascend or descend some stairs. So that was pretty cool. Uh, it'll also plan your trip around ele- electric vehicles. So if you have a Tesla or, uh, uh, you know, any of the other uh, electric vehicles out, you can plan your trip and it'll make sure to include uh, stops that include electric charging. So you don't have that, you know, uh, charging FOMO to where you feel like you, if you travel too far or, you know, you miss a stop, you know, you, you'll be stranded. You know, you can actually plan your trip around electric vehicles um, and it, adding more guides. So if you're doing like um, hitchhiking, not, not hitchhiking, <laughs> if you're doing uh, mountain hiking, you know, it'll actually pull up some, um, you know, some important information as it relates to you hiking or if you are going to a restaurant, for instance, it'll pull up some um, information as it relates to some of the restaurants in the area. So that was cool. Um, another thing they talked about was translate. 
So you can actually have a conversation with somebody in a whole different language and you can actually share your phone and it'll actually recognize who's talking and what language that you're using. And it'll translate that to, you know, the, the other person's language. So if I'm English and I just press the uh, microphone and translate, it'll recognize that I'm speaking English and it'll automatically convert it to, let's say, Spanish. If I'm talking to somebody in Spanish and then they can press the button, and do the same, recognize they're talking in Spanish and it'll automatically translate to English. So that's I thought that was something cool. Definitely. And I was really intrigued by that, especially since she can use it offline as well. Right. And, you know, I think we all know that I'm a bit of a traveler when outside is open. So I'm looking forward to using this when outside opens back up and I can actually get on a plane and go to somebody else's country. Yep. 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 And another probably one of the the last major thing for iOS was Siri. So Siri gets a compact design as well. So normally when you activate Siri, she takes up the whole screen. Well, in iOS 14, she's going to be more compact to where you'll only see the little Siri icon at the bottom and you'll still be able to see the rest of your screen. So you can complete whatever you were doing while you're using Siri. Um, when you actually do something like uh, add add something to a grocery list. Again, it'll only show a small compact screen at the top versus opening up the whole reminders app that takes up the screen. So, you know, they're they're they are, you know, consolidating a lot of things to where once it doesn't take up as much screen. So you can actually do some more multitasking Uh, Siri. You know, she's added over more information. So a lot of the things that you ask Siri now in iOS 14, she won't automatically have to go to the Web and show you Web results. She'll be able to actually answer the question because that's one of my major gripes with Siri. Now, it's like I say, you know, Siri, you know, how many steps in the uh, Statue of Liberty, you know, with Google, she'll just answer and give you the answer from Google. But if I'm using Siri, she'll pull Here's something I found on the Web and it (laughs) it drives me crazy. So now, uh, hopefully with iOS 14, they'll. Uh, give you a little bit more information versus trying to make me go to the web and find it. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I think that was it for all the major iOS 14. Uh, we'll move on to, uh, unless you have something else to add, did I, did I hit everything or? Yep. I think you had everything. Okay. All right. So let's move into a couple other things. Um, these are kind of out of order. I didn't really follow any order, but I thought they were cool. So I thought I'd put them in here. Uh, Apple is rolling out car keys to where you can actually use your I, your iPhone as your car keys to where it only right now. I think the first one they announced works with BMW. I think they have a five series that's coming mm-hmm. out that yep. will let you uh, hold your phone over an NFC tag near the door of your car. It automatically unlock the car. Uh, you put your phone down in the NFC wireless charging bin down towards the head of uh, the um the information infotainment screen that actually act as the keys. You just press the start button car powers up. You go on about your business. You can actually share keys. So if you have a, a neighbor that needs to move the car or you are valet, for example, you can actually share um, the key access with another person. I think you can actually, you know, quickly turn it on and off, you know, to make sure that, you know, you can, um, um, remove people from their share as well. So I thought that was pretty cool. It'd be interesting yeah. to see what other uh, manufacturers come out with that functionality. Hopefully, hopefully a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm looking forward to it. I was like, my car has that NFC chip in it. So let's, uh, 
Let's bring it on over to to my brand. Yep. You already got it in one German. Uh-huh. Just go ahead and add another one real quick. So, yeah. and I really like the fact that you could share that key with someone else. I don't know, you know, a lot of times uh, if you're somewhere and someone needs to get in your car and you're not there, if you leave it at the airport, somebody comes to pick it up or whatever the case may be. I thought it was a great idea that you could share the key with someone else. And you could also set controls on it to limit them to their access. So I thought that was pretty dope. Yep, especially if you got kids, you know, the, of the driving age and you want to lock them out of your car, you definitely do that. You know, so that probably, probably, probably be, be in a few years, friend. Yep, that's what I was going to say. By the time they get it all regulated and situated, you know, I'll have a kid is itching to use her phone to drive, drive our cars. It's like, no, sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No music, no texting, all that shut off. Right, right, right. So um, one of the other things that they uh, brought up was AirPods. Um, they, so they did have a little bit of hardware mixed in there. So the in uh, uh, an update, I don't think they'll even wait for any newer version of AirPods. I think through an update for the current AirPods that you have, you'll be able to uh, do automatic device switching. So in the demo that they said during WWDC, if I'm listening to music on my iPhone or my iPad, and then maybe somebody calls me on my iPhone, it'll automatically switch the, the uh, sound over to my iPhone to answer the call. Once I'm done and I hang up, it automatically goes back to the music that I was listening to on my iPad or my Mac and vice versa. So before you'd have to pull down the control center select the audio button and then select which device you want which to switch from you on, yeah. now it's just automatic based on what you're listening to you know what function you're doing so on and so forth and another thing was spatial audio so it, it's the the computer chip in the airpods now with the update will simulate full surround sound so music uh, sound that's coming in front of you sounds that are coming from the sides sound that's coming from the back and even sound that's coming from the top, you know, in some of these high special effects audio movies, this spatial um, recognition, spatial, spatial audio, I think is what we call it, will be able to actually simulate that sound to give you more of an immersive sound experience uh, with the AirPods. And um, let's see, what was next? Air clips, app clips. I think that was this one. This is what I was excited about. Right, yeah. right. I like the app clips. So for those people who have a ton of apps, or you're using you you come across a function that you need an app for the app clips will automatically uh, show up and show you that the the app that you need to use to do this function. For example, if I am in the city and I want to use one of those electric scooters and I don't have the app for that electric scooter, I can just hover my phone over the scooter to initiate like I want to actually rent it. The app clips will pop up. And either A will let you use that function without actually downloading the app, or if you already have the app, it'll automatically reveal that app clip to let you do the function using with the app that you already had. I'll have to confirm if you can do it without having the app downloaded the way I understood it or the way it makes sense to me is if I don't have the app, that app clip will show me that that app is available in the app store from the app clip. I can download it, but I think it may. I thought, I thought, I thought you were on the right tr- track. I think if you don't have the app, 
but you need like in your example of of getting like a a bird scooter Mm -hmm. if you don't have the bird app you could still hover over use the app clip and pay with your apple id Mm -hmm. so that way you don't have to get the app if you don't want it that was my understanding of it oh yeah right so here's what it'll do it uses uh, so we're right we're we're halfway right right in order to use the app without what in order to use the function without having the app, you'll have to sign in with Apple. So this app, the developers will have to bake in, sign in with Apple in their app. And then when the app clip reveals itself, even if you don't have that, as long as you can sign in with Apple and use Apple Pay, you'll be able to use the functionality of the app without actually having it on your phone because sign in with Apple and Apple Pay is Apple's secure way of doing things. So they say, okay, well, we'll make it secure so you won't have to actually download the app, create an account, which <laughs> if you're trying to hurry up and rent a bird scooter, trying to do all that takes forever. And it's like, well, just forget it. You know, <laughs> I don't want the scooter. I right. don't want the bike. Right. I'll walk where I'm going. <laughs> right. So if the app um, uh, enables app clips and it and lets you sign in with Apple and it utilizes Apple Pay, you can actually use that app without actually having it downloaded on your phone with the Apple clips. So that was the main feature for app clips. Uh, one of the other things, of course, Apple is big on trans um, privacy. So they do a lot of things in iOS 14 that um, lends to you being more secure or at the very least knowing what apps are doing, what, what with it as it relates to your data. So for instance, privacy information in the app store, uh, it'll give you more information on what the app wants from your data. So if it wants your contact information, if it wants your location, if it wants um, other identifiers like how old you are, you know, if you're male or female in the app store before you download it, it actually highlights that information in a more visible way. So you can actually see what uh, data is being asked of you. There's another thing like a recording indicator. So you'll actually see it like a little orange dot in the upper right hand corner when an app that you have given access to like your microphone or your camera. If that app that you're using is in fact using your microphone and camera, you'll see this little amber dot in the upper right hand corner just to let you know that your face and your voice is being recorded at this moment in time. So just giving you uh, more information uh, as far as what is going on with your data. So I thought that was pretty cool about that. Um, let's see. I think that was it for that section. So I think the next thing, let's see what, what, what we're doing on time. We're at 37 minutes. So we may be halfway through. So we'll just keep it trucking. Um, the next thing was watch OS seven. So one of the cool things, there wasn't a whole lot from watch OS seven. So I'll just kind of go through some of these uh, more customizable watch faces and complications. So, you know, Previously, there were only certain complications that you could add to a watch face. Well, now you can actually add a bevy of uh, uh, watch faces and the different complications for watch OS seven to where there'll be more app watch faces in the uh, uh, watch app store. And you can actually start to take screenshots of images and they'll make it easier for you to convert that actually into a watch face. So they're just giving you more um functionality as it relates to the watch faces. Uh, one of the, one of the major things was around sleep to, so like in the watch app, they'll give you a, a sleep wind down indicator to let you know that, you know, you can kind of set it up to where at 
if you normally go to bed at 10 o'clock or whatever, you, it'll actually start to let you know that, hey, it's wind down time. So if you want to <laughs> start to turn the lights down, you know, start to start to get ready for bed, you know, you can uh, you can actually set that up in the uh, sleep wind down. And uh, one of the major things is now natively in watch OS seven, it has sleep tracking. So you can actually track your sleep, you know, see if you're in deep sleep, see if you're, you know, uh, how often were you moving? You know, now the Apple watch tracks all that good stuff. So I guess I'll ask you, is that sleep, the wind down and sleep tracking, that's something you're interested in? Not really, or what's not, the... not really. I already have a, um, an, an app, a sleep cycle that does that already for me. I'll just be interested to see how accurate um sleep tracker is you know as compared to the native Mm -hmm. um app that the the native apple app that they have but i i don't really care um like i mentioned on uh dtns this was a huge you know sticking point for a lot of people a lot of people really wanted this technology nate technology native to um apple i'm i guess people are really tracking their sleep that way it I don't, I mean, (laughs) care too much, but I, and I don't like to be confined when I sleep and sleeping in my watch, uh, equates to confinement for me. So I, I don't, I can't see myself sleeping, uh, in my watch. And when would I have time to charge it? Because then when I wake up, it's like I hit the ground running for the day. So at some point, you know, you have to take it off for it to charge. Right. Um, So I, mm, uh, well, it wasn't that big of a deal to me. Yeah, yeah. so the, to answer the last question or to give you an, uh, Apple's resolution for that, the charge thing. So uh, one of the things I looked up, it says if your battery is below 30% near bedtime, you'll get a reminder to charge. If you charge after wake up, waking up, you'll get an iPhone notification when you're at 100%. So it's basically it's like, well, if you go to sleep with your watch before you actually turn this thing on or however it works, it'll let you know that you're below 30%. So maybe that'll kind of give you a preview as to what you need to do. First thing when you wake up is maybe charge it, but um, I'll give it a try because one of the things that, yeah, one of the things, some of the things that it does is it'll um, automatically put your uh, phone in um, your watch and do not disturb mode. And it'll give you like a dimmed, version of the time. So if you do wake up in the middle of the night, you need to check the time. It won't disturb. It won't shock you <laughs> or disturb your partner. If you you know sleep with somebody, um, one of the things that it also does when you, um, where is it at? When you, uh, it gives you the r- w- alarms. So when you wake up, it doesn't have this large alarm. It does the haptic touching. So it actually taps your wrist and gives you like a, 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 sl- a slight, I guess a, 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 a yeah tap it taps you and lets you yeah, know. Yeah, it's you... like the like when you like when it's time for like the when the breathing app comes up and mm-hmm. they want you to take a breathing, you get like a little tap tap. Right, and you can track all of this in the health app, so to give you the average time that you were asleep, you know, average time when you were actually awoke versus sleep. If you set any sort of goals, it'll let you know if you hit your sleep goal, so on and so forth for that. And I. And and I, I I just want to drink. I'm a little interested to see. I guess it's just because it's on the watch. But in your on your iPhone, when you go to like the clock where you set your alarms, there is a feature called bedtime. So you can set when you want to sleep and when you want to wake up. 
And that gives you a 15 minute warning. So say like for mine, I currently have to go to bed at midnight because I normally go to bed after. So I'm trying to go to bed earlier these days, but I have my alarm set to bedtime by midnight wake up by 6 a.m. So at 11.45, I get this little drop down, this notification that says, you know, bedtime is in 15 minutes. Do you want to snooze it or, you know, just keep going? So, and it does do sleep analysis. So I'm just interested to see if they are just leveraging the technology that they already have built into iOS and they're shifting it over to a separate app on um, watchOS or if they're going to get rid of that feature on iOS and just have it on watchOS. I'm I'm just interested to see how it works because they already have something similar to that, what they'll be doing on the sleep, you know, app built into iOS already. And it does move, you know, your data to to the health app. So I'm just that, you know, that was another layer in it like so what's really the point of then just actually tracking it on your watch because it's physically on you? Yeah. Whereas your your phone is, of course, you know, either on docking station or nearby or whatever. The case yeah, is. that's what I'm thinking, because it can detect your movements, you know, probably maybe even integrate some heartbeat, you know, or any some some of the other diagnostics that your watch can track normally using other things. Maybe that they, they'll include that in the sleep app. So, you know, like you like you mentioned, I think that's the what the answer is. Since your watch is on you when you're asleep and you're rustling and bustling or not, depending on how deep you sleep, they can get more accurate uh, measurements from you. So I didn't even to answer your question, though, I didn't even know that that feature was on your phone to where it'll (laughs) let you know when it's time to go to bed. (laughs) So I had to definitely had to check that out. See, you know, it's in the clock app. It's called bedtime. Okay, And you can set when you want to go to bed and when you want to wake up and it'll do uh, an alarm for you and a reminder that it's time to go to sleep. All right. All right. I had to check that out. Um, Some of the other things on watch OS seven was I like this one, the hand washing tracking. So we know there's some, Nasty people out there that don't wash their hands or their legs. Or <laughs> right. We're going to get into the whole washing your legs thing. <laughs> but for those, you know, with the whole COVID-19 out, you know, the, one of the things that, you know, all the health professionals stress is wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Well, now you can actually go in and uh, your Apple watch will trigger one when it's, it'll remind you when you come back in the house based on location that you should wash your hands and uh, you can it'll set a timer and it'll notice the washing hands movement and it will alert you if you haven't washed your hands for long enough. I think the time was uh, I think it was like two minutes or something of that nature. So if you are one of those people that just throws their hands in some water and Fish splash in the water, no soap, just oh, let me wet my hands. Right, right. Your Apple watch will snitch on you and let you know that, hey. You probably need to wash your hands. So I'll you read still got the COVID on you. Get right. rid of that. <laughs> so you, so I'll just read the actual thing. So um, using its motion sensors and microphone, Apple Watch automatically detects hand washing and starts a 20 second timer and will give you like a little well done notification on your wrist when you're done with the uh, if you use if you it'll encourage you to continue for the full 20 seconds and it'll it'll kind of remind you tap you they call it encourage 
if you stopped washing your hands early. So <laughs> that a little, yeah. little dry a slight, snitching. A little, a little dry snitching. And I saw someone posted on Twitter. They were like, so are they going to be able to differentiate between all hand movements? Oh, like one hand or something where you would have was no when your hand is doing a similar motion for not washing your hands. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's a there's a lot of movements that we we be using that. <laughs> I got a I got a good little cackle out of that. All right. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, another thing was uh, better fitness tracking, so it adds more fitness uh, moves. You know, strength training. Uh, some of the different moves that aren't normally um, on the strength training. Like there's, you know, it, it's always that one exercise that you're about to do. It's like, oh, I can tra- track this on my watch and it doesn't have it. So now they're starting to add more things like uh, dancing. So now the you can. In Zumba. Right. Get your Zumba on. Right. So and now. Get your accurate tracking. Exactly. So now if you do the. Do the Zumba. What's some of the other ones? Jazzercise. Is that still a thing? Is that still around? No, it's more like they do fitness now. Okay. So that's like a Caribbean type dancing, uh, but the, it's like a workout, which the, is a lot of fun. The twerking workouts and all that good stuff. Yeah. All oh, that stuff. Okay. Yeah. So, so now you can track all of that because now your watch can can uh, differentiate between you moving your hands in a motion versus just moving your feet. And it doesn't just count it as, well, you're moving. So we're just going to track it as movement. Now it can kind of tell how you're moving your hands and kind of differentiate as dancing versus just some other uh, exercise workout and let you know and let you track all of that dancing based on the coordination. So shout out to Apple for adding that to all the the twerk it fans out there. (laughs) Yeah, because it showed the person who was doing the demo. So she kind of they didn't show the track, but they showed the movement. So like if she's doing like hand movements, Mm -hmm. it'll track the hands. If you're doing like lower body. It like tracks that movement and then it tracks like if you're doing like both hands and and feet. Yeah. It kind of tracks it all that way. So that's pretty cool. Yep. And some of the last things I wanted to mention, like if you do competitions like in iOS, uh, watch OS 6, they announced to where you can do you can compete with people. And basically that was just based on moving um, exercise and standing activities. So now it tracks more and it gives you more of a leaderboard. It gives you more information where you're actually doing the competitions and more um, cycling and cycling and bike friendly stuff that'll they'll show that on your watch the same as the maps on your iPhone so you'll get some of those notifications on your watch this time with watch OS 7 so that was uh, uh, that was pretty much it for watch OS 7 uh, you know and more Siri information too I forgot to add that so the same type of functionality with Siri to where it isn't take up your whole uh, phone. You'll do the same thing for your watch. So that was it for watch OS seven. Next we'll do iPad OS. So probably one of the main features with iPad OS is scribble to text. So you can use your Apple pencil and actually write in a text box area, like the search search bar, for example, you actually write in there what you're searching for and iPad iPad OS will automatically switch that scribble to actual text that you can then uh, complete sentences with in a search. Or if you're writing notes and you want to actually convert it to text it automatically do that as well. Uh, Another thing you can do in iPad OS, if you've actually handwritten notes before, you can actually copy and paste 
those handwritten notes. So it doesn't have to be actual text that you can copy and paste. You can actually highlight that handwritten section and you can move it around, copy and paste it, so on and so forth. Uh, one of the main issue, one of the main uh, features for iPad OS is better uh, side menus and pull down menus. So it's not, you're not searching around your iPad for all of the features based on what app you're using. It'll actually do traditional pull down menus. So if you think of like a, a traditional Mac OS menu, you know, you'll actually get that same feature and functionality in the iPad as well. So um, some of the other things was um, a Mac OS like search. So normally if you wanted to search for anything on your iPad or your iPhone, for example, you'd have to drag down from the middle of your screen and it'll blank out the whole screen, only let you type in the search. Well, this for iPad OS, it'll give you more of a Mac um, search bar to where it'll just pull out the little actual bar and you actually type in that versus, like I said, it taking up your entire screen. Um, another cool thing was shape recognition. So if you are using your Apple Pencil and you do something like a star, once you draw the majority of the star, but then stop and hold on the last little part of the star, it'll actually recognize that shape and put it in as a for real shape. <laughs> if you if your stars and your arrows look kind of funky, you can actually convert those to actually stars and arrows and circles and squares and things of that look nature. A little more professional. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. So if you if your handwriting's kind of janky, you know, Apple will uh, help you out and give you a nice little more like you said a professional look to your information. Um, other than that, that was it for um, iPad OS. Basically, it looks more like Mac OS. So, you know, you think of some of the pull down, some of the menus that they showed um, on the demo. You know, it was like sidebar menus that come out to give you more functionality versus you having to look on screen. So that was like kind of the main thing I saw. It's looking more like Mac OS. So that was it for iPad OS, um, probably the next thing close to last is Mac OS. They had some other things for, for, uh, TV OS, but you know, those are kind of like just significant, nothing major. nothing major, you know, they have more home kit functionality to where, you know, you get more devices because now they've done, uh, they've made home kit open source. So that brings in more developers to create more products that then integrate with home kit. So one of the main things that, that I'm looking forward to looking forward to with that is again, if more devices are supported, I can use HomeKit as my one interface to control all those devices versus jumping from apps. If I a separate app for the garage, a separate app for the front door, separate app for the lights, a separate app for the security system, I can use HomeKit as the quote unquote home base for doing all those functions. So that's pretty so cool. It essentially like integrates all mm -hmm. of your different automations into mm -hmm. one space. Right. Because, right? yeah, because we talked about this before is, uh, Apple has joined a, I forget the name of it, but they've joined a, uh, a group with Apple and Amazon, which makes almost like a, oh, what's the name of it? A smart home, um, standard. That's what I'm looking for. A smart home standard to where, you know, if all of these other manufacturers create to this standard, their devices will be, you know, applicable and they'll be configurable and interoperable with Google home, Amazon, um, echo and uh, HomeKit. So 
that just gives us more devices. So that was kind of the main thing I saw from uh, TVOS. And if you do have use HomeKit, you know, you'll be able to use picture in picture to see to to see camera screens and to be able to answer doors, all that from your TVOS interface without having to pull open your iPhone or your iPad. You can do a lot of that functionality on screen from TVOS. So that was kind of the main thing from TVOS. But uh, going 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 forward to the last major thing was Mac OS. Uh, the new name of the operating system is Mac OS Big Sur, S-U-R. Um, basically, what they've done is, like I said, in the iPad, they've made iPad OS kind of look more like Mac OS. Well, the reverse is true for Mac OS. They've given they brought the control center comes to Mac. So you think of the same control center for your iPhone and your iPad to let you do things like activate Siri, play music, turn on and off Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. That same functionality is coming to the Mac in a in a um, pull down menu era area. And then any other additional functions that you want to add to notification center or to um, to what uh, control center, you can actually drag those into the control center. Same thing you can do with iPhone and iPad. So they're making the Mac kind of resemble more of the iOS functionality with the control center with widgets. So you can actually add widgets to the notification center on Mac. So when you do the the side swipe in from the keyboard or from the trackpad and it reveals normally reveal calendar events, any sort of emails, any sort of uh, messages, but now you can customize those widgets to get that same functionality for the widgets for iOS. Those come to the Mac as well. Uh, some new Safari upgrades. So, you know, you can customize your home screen on Safari. Some of the same kind of catch up things that you can do with Chrome and some of the other browsers. You can do those in Safari. Uh, same thing, more protection, data protection for Safari. So you can actually see like if this app or uh, if, if your password has been um, compromised from this website, you know, it tracks your uh, password. So if you use this password one more, you know, a bunch of times on different apps, it'll let you know that that password is regularly used. You suggest you're changing it. You know, you'll go to some websites and it'll actually in Safari, it'll start to let you know what information that they're tracking. Same thing with the um, notifications for your iPhone. Some of those come to Safari as well. So if you're going to a website and they track your location, they track your you know, some of your other logins. So like if you use this to act to log into Twitter, so on and so forth. Um, Safari uh, reveals that information, you know, because like we've mentioned always that Apple is big on data security. So they're, you know, at, at the very least showing you what some of these websites are tracking or collecting from you. So that's a pretty cool feature from there. Right. Yep. right. And one of the things that I have to say is that Apple seems to be, Oh, shoot. What's the word I'm looking for? They seem to be consolidating all of their various OSs, whether it's Mac OS, whether it's iPad OS, whether it's iOS, whether it's Mac, uh, whether it's watch OS. It's, it's really blurring the lines between the different OS versions, because the way that they are setting up Big Sur it looks a lot like iPad OS. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's really blurring the lines and really making it essentially all the OS is essentially the same. So I guess it just gives, you know, users the, it's giving users the ability to have a consistent, you know, interface across right. all the devices. And I think that's 
where they're going. And and like I mentioned on, on, on Monday, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, you're used to, you know, you, you recognize the layout, you know what it is, you're used to swiping on your phone or on your on your iPad. Then when you get to your Mac, the the initial tendency to me, and I, I'm just speaking for myself, will be to try and touch my Mac screen to do some of the same things because the 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 way it looks, the feel of it is exactly the same across those multiple devices that you primarily use every day. So I don't know if we have a touchscreen Mac coming down the pipeline or what the end goal is for um, Apple with the way that they're making all the OS devices, you know, really consistent to have the same look and feel across your iPhone, your iPad and your Mac. Well, you know, uh, probably one of the things you can speak to this as a developer you know, it definitely sounds like it'll make it easier for developers to create an app and it'd be an op- it'll be operable across all the operating systems without you having to do any sort of tweaking at all. So that's probably one reason why they're doing it. Another reason why they're doing it, like you mentioned, was because um, you'll start to have the same features and functionality to where maybe with this whole Mac OS switching to uh, their own processing chip, Apple Silicon, now they will have a touchscreen. So maybe these new, which brings me into my next story or about Mac OS, the last piece is they have announced that they are switching to their own processing chip, which is basically ARM. If you're familiar with Intel and AMD and ARM is like the, the chip that um, the, 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 the chip that they currently use for iOS and uh, iPad OS, they're going to start shipping Macs with the same type of functionality, which like you said, brings, it makes sense that, well, it wouldn't be far fetched for them to, to roll out this next Mac or uh, future Macs that have a touchscreen because they have the same uh, consistency and the, you know, user interface throughout all of the different platforms. So that's, it's not far fetched. Especially, right. if, you know, especially if they're making a chip that is familiar across all devices. Right. And just a little background on this. I know uh, there's been a lot of conversation about Apple Silicon. I think that's the, the norm. They're saying it's Silicon, not silicone, like Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. Mm-hmm. But essentially, um, it's, it's based on the architecture architecture. So Intel has one type of architecture. ARM mm-hmm. has a different type of architecture. ARM is going to be your most simplified, you know, kind of, I don't want to say bare bones, but it's the simplest way that you can have a processor that's the most efficient uh, on energy and, and all that type of jazz. So think of kind of like your, your bare bones. Let's keep it simple. Let's, you know, not do too much. Whereas Intel, on the other hand, is a bit more complex. It has a lot of different compatibility because multiple companies need to be able to use the same chip and multiple type devices. So that's the biggest, I think, you know, distinguisher between the two types of architecture between ARM and and Intel. They're all on the same chip. They're all chips and they all power devices. It's just the approach that they take on on the IC level integrated circuit level Mm -hmm. of the actual chip. Yeah. So I'm reading something from Apple's newsroom and it says this transition, you know, uh, Apple switching to their Apple Silicon, this transition will establish a common architecture across all Apple products, making it far easier for developers to write and optimize their apps 
for the entire ecosystem. So uh, that's the the long and short of it. So and, and similar to what we talked about, I want to say last year when Apple um, released that they would be that their development kit would. If you develop something for iOS, mm-hmm. it would work on Mac OS as well. So it's like a one-stop shop. If you're a developer, you go in, you develop your app. When you push to the app store, that same app would work on iPad, iOS, and Mac OS. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just more of that, again, consolidation of making it easier for developers to whatever you're developing, you don't have to develop you know, an iPad version uh, iOS version and a Mac version. You can just create one version, push it out to the app store. And regardless of what you're downloading it on, it'll work on any of your devices. So I just think, you know, Apple is, you know, closing the loop and locking down, you know, what their ecosystem is and making it as compact and as tight as it possibly can to make it easier for people who are developing all of these different apps for whatever you know, type of app it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they got some other uh, technologies like Universal 2 that will uh, developers will be easy, be able to easily create a single app that taps into the native power and performance of new Macs with Apple Silicon Silicon while still supporting Intel based Macs. So there'll be backwards compatibility. And then uh, Rosetta 2, which is another another type of Apple functionality users will be able to run existing Mac apps that have not been yet updated, including those plugins. Virtualization technology will allow users to run Linux. Developers can also make iOS and iPad apps available on the Mac without any modifications. And right. And so Apple will still have their Intel Macs Mm -hmm. because this new ARM Mac or Apple Silicon, that that's what they want to brand it as. They will have both options if you want to stick with the old version of Intel, which I'm assuming if you're in the market for a Mac, if you hold on a little bit, you could probably get an Intel Mac um, at a as a, at a steep discount because they're really going to, in what I assume, they're really going to start pushing the Apple Silicon version of Macs. So, right. So the first, tip. yeah. So the first uh, Apple Silicon, Silicon, Sil- Silicon. Silicon, silicon, silicon. silicon. silicon it app. Sounds yeah. so, it sounds so highbrow. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, those Macs will start to appear at the end of this year with a complete transition in two years. But even though, let's just say in 2022, all the Macs going forward will have this new uh, chip. They will continue to support Intel Macs for uh, I, if I read right somewhere like six or seven years, I could be completely wrong. But there will well, that be. That sounds about right. They yeah. have to. I mean, there's so many Intel Macs out there yeah. that they just can't stop supporting it. You know, cold turkey. Right, right. And for those uh, developers that are looking to get their hands on this uh, Apple Silicon, so they can get ready for the end of this year when Apple starts shipping uh, silicon-based Macs, uh, they'll there's a loaner program that you can apply for, and if you get approved, I'm not sure what the factors are for you getting approved or not approved, but if you do get approved. Uh, they will send you a loaner emphasis on loaner, a Mac mini with an A12Z bionic chip, uh, which is the silicon based chip, a 16 gig of Ram and a 512 SSD hard drive with a bunch of IO ports 
and, um, you know, some of the Rosetta and the Universal and all the, the DDK X code, all the all the stuff you need in order to start testing and or developing silicon silicon based apps. So uh, they're essentially just giving you a sandbox. They're giving you a sandbox for five hundred dollars. That and you got to send it back. That you got to send it back. So that's better than nothing, I suppose. Uh, yeah. You know, and we'll I'm s- and I'm sure like huge companies that do a lot of app development, mm-hmm. they'll probably you know get a bunch of them so that they can you know make sure that their their existing apps will work on this new uh, silicon chip, uh-huh. and also for development of any of uh, other apps. Right. I, I don't think it. I don't think it said how long they get to keep the units. Um, so I'd be interested to see. Did they say that how long they get to keep um, units? I, my guess is two years. I would again. I have to do some more research. They don't say it in this press release from Apple, but I'm pretty sure some other bloggers will, you know, come up with that information. Yeah, because I haven't seen them say how long you can have the kit for. But you know that'll be a drop in the bucket because one, yeah. the issue with the Mac OS, the Mac App Store right now is there's hardly any apps in it that because. As much as Apple claimed in the past, you can write for an iOS app and it work across all the platforms that won't really be 100 percent of the case until this new silicon based Mac comes out. But that'll get more eyeballs on your app if you can code for iOS and it works on iPad and it works on Mac so that, you know, it'll be a drop in the bucket for developers if they can get more eyeballs on their apps. If we can then download them from the Mac app store. Yeah. And 500 bucks. For this type of unit, I mean, for hardcore developers, it's again, it's it's nothing. Yeah, for anybody, because I think a regular yeah. Mac Mini with 16 gigs of RAM and 512, I think it's more than five hundred dollars. Yeah, I think it's like seven or eight. Right. So if you're a developer, you know, you at the very least you'll get to play around with a inexpensive Mac Mini for a couple years. Yep. Yep. And other than that, I think that is it. Of course, Apple announced uh, a, a bunch of stuff at WWDC. They uh, announced some new T- uh, Apple TV Plus shows. Uh, they talked about, you know, all kind of uh, new technologies is coming. But that was, I think that I think we covered the majority of it. So uh, we'll bef- definitely put a link in the show notes. Well, basically, you just go to Apple dot com. And they have all of the new stuff that they announced in the WWDC. So you can go back and rewatch the keynote and they've got a preview of all of the, the information that we discussed on the show. So you can see it for yourself. They got like nice little transitions, nice little small little previews for you to check that out. So if you go to apple.com, you can see the preview of all the stuff that we announced. Uh, like I said before, uh, they said it'll be a va- iOS 14, watchOS uh, 7, uh, macOS Big Sur, and iPadOS. I want to say that's iPadOS 14 as well. Uh, that'll be available in the fall. Most likely, it'll be a couple days to a week before they announce the the newer, the newer, the new devices. Yeah, the new yeah. iPhones and new Apple Watch. So. Yeah, and definitely, I've been getting alerts. You know, since Monday with the different uh, sessions that they have. I haven't been able to watch any of them, unfortunately, because work is really getting in the way of my fun time. But I'm really hoping, you know, after, you know, everything is said and done, I'll be able to watch some of the some of the um, sessions that I, you know, have been interested to kind of catch. So. All right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We'll 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 ask for a recap next week and let us know what insider scoop you can give us on the from the developer geeks out there. (laughs) 
right. All right. All right. So that is it for the lowdown. Let's move into second string where we talk all things tech in general. So you you put a story in here about Uber and Lyft responding to a study showing higher rates for trips to non-white areas. So there was a study that came out that said, I think they, the, the sample base was Chicago. So they did, this was between um, the, the end of 2018 through the end of 2019. So I think November 18 to like December 19, where they have a data set of about a hundred million trips that were taken, taken in Chicago. And what they showed that even though the demand was about the same, regardless of the area for um, Chicago, that there was an upcharge. So the algorithm was doing an upcharge for going to black neighborhoods. So even if it was the same distance from where you were going to say a, a black neighborhood to a white neighborhood, you would be charged more for going into a black or brown neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So um, they kind of got caught off guard, I think, with these results. And so, of course, in this current environment that we're in, that people are getting canceled left and right for being racist and have having biased um, products out there, um, they had to come back and 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 address it to to say, hey, whoa. Our, they, you know, they give you a standard. We're all inclusive company. We don't discriminate and blah, 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 those type of things. But the data doesn't lie. And the data showed that there was a discrepancy in the way that the algorithm algorithm worked for both Lyft and Uber. Right. So how it's, how it's charging people based on where they're going. Right. So the response is uh, Uber was kind of, you know, well, their response was, you know, you got us kind of we'll we'll make sure we look at that a little bit closely. So they, their response was the company commends studies of this type, stating that they can help brands grasp a deeper understanding of the effects of dynamic pricing. However, they also added that in their opinion, other contributing factors were not considered, including trip purposes, time of day and land slash neighborhood patterns. So that's Uber's response was, Hey, thanks for that. You know, we'll work on it, but, but make sure, yeah, but make sure mm-hmm. you're telling the whole story. Right. So that's mm-hmm. Uber's response. Mm-hmm. Lyft's response was, which is surprising. This analysis is deeply flawed. The researcher acknowledges that the study was not based on actual democratic de- de- demographic data of rideshare users. In fact, the study makes clear that the speed and demand have highest correlation with algorithm, algorithmically generated fares and that individual demographic data is neither available to rideshare companies nor used in algorithms that determine pricing. There are many factors that go into dynamic pricing. Race is not one of them. We appreciate the researchers attempt to study unintentional bias, but this study misses the mark. <laughs> so, well, of course, they're not going to say, yeah, we're being racist with our right. apps. And if this is happening in Chicago, you better believe that it's likely happening in cities like Atlanta, right. LA, Houston, New York. And even though, of course, they're not going to say, yeah, we're being racist. I, there's something to this. I don't, um, I don't think that, you know, this is something that anybody is too shocked by. Yeah, no, I just thought it was funny that you would think 
Uber historically has been kind of the cocky company versus right. Lyft has been more of the kumbaya company mm-hmm. and that their responses were totally opposite of what I would assume like, each one of them would have made. That's not us. We didn't do that. Right. You would think Uber would have said that's whack. Get out of our face. And Lyft would have been, oh, we respect the the, the attempt and we'll try better. It was completely opposite. So I, th- yeah. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> so that's very interesting in this time that we're in. And I and I think Uber's probably learned because they've been just hammered right. on so many different things that they're like, look, let's try and take a more democratic approach to this mm-hmm. as to not piss off anybody else. And I guess Lyft was like, we're going to, you know, expend all the capital we've gained, mm-hmm. you know, goodwill with people. And we're going to say, no, this is wrong. This right. isn't right. We're not racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that so, was interesting. So, yeah, fair. definitely. Yeah. So we'll see what sort of comes something comes out of this, because even though they can kind of try to brush it off, you know, you can't just brush it off completely there. I'm assuming if they do this study again a couple of weeks later, a month later, things may have surprisingly changed miraculously changed <laughs> within a couple of weeks right right all right all right so the next study we got here is uh more researchers have condemned predictive crime software over racial bias so you know we've been talking for the past couple of times about how a lot of the companies are starting to speak out against ai uh, starting to speak out specifically to um identifying software you know facial recognition things of that nature, uh, nature. So even more researchers, academics, and experts in artificial intelligence are speaking out against soon to be published research that claims to use neural networks to quote unquote, predict criminality. At the time of this writing, more than 50 employees working on AI at companies like Facebook, Google, and Microsoft had signed on to an open letter opposing the research and imploring its publisher to reconsider. So basically they were, there's a story about to come out about this new technology that can predict criminality. So you think of minority port and these precogs that could kind of predict when a crime was going to happen. And then, you know, in this future dystopian future, they could send police officers, I guess, to run out and stop these pre-crimes. But uh, that's what this story was about to publish. And these uh, researchers have already decided before this gets any further. We're about to say, look, this is not what we're trying to do. This is not what's going to happen because of what we've talked about before. It's almost impossible not to code bias into AI machine learning because we have to program it and we naturally have bias. So therefore the technology will be biased. Right. So there is a course um, that's in um, the graduate program that I was in and it was it was a special topics course and it is specific to ai and ethics and it was it's it's very interesting to see a lot that that went into that course is definitely something that it's it's touching on where we are and the analysis that you know that you do in that class and on the data sets that it provides, I think one of them was um, like a mental health data set mm-hmm. based on, you know, gender and, and race. And then there is um, another data set um, that's based on um, on predictive analysis and biases in uh, autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting to see that, you know, 
there are courses that are specifically related to how you need to handle and how you can identify biases in AI. So for the next generation of computer scientists, I think I would I would assume that going forward, there are going to be some mandatory courses where you have to take some type of bias um, courses and training in how to ethically, you know, develop software applications based around AI and, and ethics. Because if 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 I'm a person who's doing development, say as um, as a black person, you know, there may be certain biases that I have and say you have a developer who is is a white person or another uh, POC. Even though there are some overt biases that we have in our society that you can easily call out, there are subtle biases, microaggressions that can easily be built into these systems where the people know it or not. And I think it's going to be one of those things where people are going to have to be cognizant of who is developing what. And when they go to do any type of code reviews or when you're doing the scope of the project, whatever the case may be, I think going forward, conversations around ethics are going to be integral into anything that we develop because I think it's so much more visibility now, especially in, in the particular climate that we're in. You know, this is not a great time, but the what can be accomplished from this is that people are more aware of their, you know, unconscious and conscious biases that can be put into software and that people want to take in more attention to that and be more open and cognizant of, of how we go forward. Because if, if you have a racist person or a biased person doing the development, that's automatically going to flow into their work because they aren't going to think outside of their purview. So I just really think that going forward in the space that we're in, that focus is definitely going to be shifted towards ethics when it comes to AI or any software development in general. Yeah. And uh, specifically, you know, even when, you know, that's going to be the case, even if, you know, according to this person who is um, doing this research or putting out this technology, they're trying to do it for the sole purpose of removing implicit bias. And I'll just read this quote. By automating the identification of potential threats without bias, our claim is to produce tools for crime prevention, law enforcement and military applications that are less impacted by implicit biases and emotional responses. This uh, co-author of this uh, story that is uh, going that's going out that these researchers are uh, wrote an open letter to condemn. So even if the technology you know, the the intent is to remove bias. Again, all the things that you just mentioned, there have to be serious concerns for how the the technology is developed because it's coming as much as we can hoop and holler, as much as we can get upset, as much as we can write open letters and condemn technology. Technology is not going to stop. You know, we are a technologically advanced society and there are things that we're going to develop, you know, not not trying to be dystopian, not to be a post-apocalyptic or anything like that. But if we can do it, we will, you know, at the very least we'll try. So there will be some like implicit bias and bias in general 
there are going to be some things that slip through the cracks. And we just got to, at the very least, make sure that that is a heavily considered subject when it goes into building or creating or advancing any sort of technology that has a direct impact on the people that you're building it for, especially as it relates right. to, you know, when it, our nat- our nature, our nature, which is not completely, you know, unbiased. And like they say, the road to hell is created with the best intention. You yep. know, let, let's just hope that, you know, bias is recognized and highlighted when we go forward, not if, when we go forward and we make technology like this. Right. And I would like to see more on development teams or IT teams or any anybody who's creating something for public consumption. I would like to see, you know, you normally have like your PMs, your BAs, you have your developers, you have your testers, you have your architects, you have all these different groups. I would like to see them bring in technology, um, you know, ethics people. You know, you have a team member on on your project for whatever you're developing that sole focus is is in their background is in ethics so when you're going through requirements you're going through you know what you want this piece of software to serve you have somebody on the side saying uh 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 this could be an issue let's try doing abc well, that, that sounds a little too much like right and companies and developers <laughs> are already having problem with qa and they just rush you know, they spend all the time developing the app and then they give Q, the poor little QA people, they give them a week to QA the whole the thing. Holes. Yeah. Right, right. And then any sort of little record uh, things that they suggest gets through to the back of the pile in order to go live. So yeah. I could I can I could see people pushing in, in addition to QA. You've got this whole ethics QA thing. This comes behind the regular software QA. That that just gonna push the the project back, so they're just gonna, <laughs> you know, yeah. ship it anyway. Been, so I can, yeah. yeah, and I and I know that that <laughs> is probably not. I may uh, propose that suggestion at, at my particular company because the company that I work for, when I came to the company, I was on the QA side. Mm-hmm. I was QA engineer, and then I shifted from that into development, and of course, you know. I do. I have a bunch of roles at work. So, you know, my primary role is a developer, but I also do some project management as well. And I also do some test management as well. So I've, I've seen kind of, you know, the full purview. And again, you know, mo- the bulk of the time is spent up front with requirements, with architecture. And then once you get kind of in the middle, you know, you get development, but it's one of those things of hurry up and develop all this. Even if my requirements change, you just develop what I need now and shift it. And then poor QA, they're at the very tail end of it. Mm-hmm. They get the last little bit of it. So where that, that in in theory, if you're doing agile methodology, everybody is involved at the beginning. Everybody right. subscribed to that type of philosophy. No. It's the way it should be. And even in, though the company that I work for, we are quote unquote agile. We're not. <laughs> As it more. sounds it sounds good to say that we are, right. but we're not. Right. I haven't. I've been in this company over seven, just over seven years, and all my products have technically been agile, but they have not been agile. <laughs> and so it's one of those things where we have to get this done. You do whatever it takes to get it out the door, and we'll figure out the other stuff later. But I think we have to be, as technology professionals, we have to be more cognizant of the way that we work so that we can deliver the best product for, <laughs> you know, the consumers 
But at the same time, you have to take into, you know, thought that we need to interject this whole ethics flow of things, especially because, I mean, you saw what happened with the Snapchat thing with the Juneteenth filter. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, if you had one black person on this, they would have been like, no, this is not you need to go yeah for those and, for those who don't know uh over juneteenth um snapchat came out with a filter to where if you smiled it would break the chains of the slavery chain. and there would be a little animation behind you to where the as soon as animation. as soon as you smile these chains would break and that was their contribution to uh, Juneteenth and all of this, you know, uh, public, uh, you know, police brutality and all these things that are coming up in the news and all these protests. So, uh, that <laughs> Nika's alluding to the fact that if they would have had any sort of QA ethics, one black person on the team, <laughs> this would not have been a good idea and it would not have, uh, been approved. But, you know, that just right. uh, something as small as that. And, and it's something, and they were saying, oh, this didn't get approved. I'm like, yes, it did. Yep. I mean, there is no way that nope. you can develop anything nope. and not have all of these toll Checks. gates, right. cab boards. You know, it's so many. I mean, just thinking on the projects that I've worked on for work, I mean, the amount of approvals that I have to get from different people mm-hmm. and the backup approvals mm-hmm. and the approval for the release manager. I mean, it's a, you have to go through a lot of crap right. to get something pushed to production. So there's no way. They were not selling me on that it slipped through our approval process. No, it didn't. Right. Somebody came up with this idea. You guys thought it was great. Yeah, we're celebrating Juneteenth. Hey, let's have them smile. We'll break chains. Yeah, because they're free. And it's just like, no. Because you smiled. not good. <laughs> I smiled. It's the, same thing. it's the same thing as, you know, I equate it to, you know, I don't know if other races of women experiences, but I know the black woman. If you're walking down the street and you don't have the smile on your face, the first thing a brother walking by is like, "Smile, you're too pretty not to be smiling. What right. do you got to be angry?" No, right. You don't tell anybody what to do with their body right. that makes you more comfortable or gives you a warm and fuzzy feeling. No, right. So yeah. that's, my, that's my soapbox for that, but yeah. But it's coming. Technology is coming, whether we want it to come or not. So hopefully they put some sort of they 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 <laughs> do something and say, hey, we have considered the majority yeah. of people. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, we have something else I want to talk about. We're, we're just going to move on to for the culture where we talk all things social. So I don't know if you've seen. I saw it uh, <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> so, you know, the police have been getting a bad rap over the past couple of days or weeks or More months too. or generations, <laughs> depending on who you're talking to. Um, so there was one particular officer who I guess he'd had enough. And I guess he was responding to a specific instance to where, there was a uh, person recording a police officer and the guy that was recording the police officer was making mentions to the fact that all oh, you ain't bad without your badge. If you take off your badge, you know, you hide behind your badge. You ain't tough. If you take off the badge. I bet I be in these streets. Right, right. If you didn't have that badge, I bet you be scared or whatever. So there was this other gentleman who wasn't involved in that. He was responding to this video that he saw and was like, look, y'all think cops out here are hiding behind our badges, but I guarantee you if we were to put down this badge and I was to 
sign a waiver that said, you know, whatever happened, you know, there would be no backlash or whatever. I bet a lot of y'all out there would be scared and y'all wouldn't step to me. So if that's what you want to do, you know, let me know and we can sign this waiver and we can make this happen. And mind you, this whole video, he in the gym, he right. all like in the camera, like swole. Uh-huh. Like, Looked yeah, like he, he just worked out, you know. He, yeah, yeah, he was a big swole dude, so he made. Yeah, this, he was ready. Yeah, so intimidating. He, he was dead. In, I mean, it was the frame was like very tight. Right. He was like all up in it, like you don't want to step to me because I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. Yeah, and he pretty much put the 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 word out on he social media that he put the challenge out that. Anybody that wants to step to him who thinks they're bad, I can sign this waiver and we can make this happen. So then the I don't know if this is the very next video, but his response to the responses that he got on social media, like, okay, let's pull up. Right. So they had MMA fighters. They had notable Boxers. boxers. They had all of these people say, oh, we can do that. So they responded to him to to let's make this happen and then his next video is well let me explain uh all those people that want to fight you got to understand you got to have a specific problem with me specifically for us to do this you're just responding because you're upset and you don't have an issue with me specifically so that i ain't listening to none of those responses because y'all just want to fight and you don't have an issue with me specifically that didn't he didn't say stuttering yeah you know this whole thing you saw before looks a lot slimmer now because the angle of the camera's a little bit different right so he was in trouble in the voice yeah so he was in 100 percent backtrack mode because obviously he'd gotten received a ton of responses from people who were willing to take him up on that challenge. And I guess the way he explained it, according to him, uh, it, it didn't come out the way he wanted it because he was doing a lot of backtracking specifically saying, you know, well, y'all got to have a problem with me specifically. That's not what you that said. And that's bro. not what you said in the first video. You said a lot of these people have these problems with cops who feel like they're hiding behind their badges. I'm not one of those cops to hide behind my badge. So if I'm you want to pull up, let's do this. And then they and then they respond and he was like, Well, wait a minute, I don't have no problem with y'all specifically, man. You gotta understand that uh we need to get together, you know. <laughs> if you got a problem with only, me. We only gonna do this if you got a specific problem with me. Right. If they do have a specific specific problem with you because you just called them out saying that they were a bunch of, you know, scaredy cats. Mm-hmm. So they got an issue with you. But now you wanna be no, I changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, I get it that I could see I can see how officers quote unquote the good apples right uh are frustrated because of the guilty by association that they're getting in wake of wake of recent events but again as a police officer as somebody that is trained as somebody had that has taken a pledge to protect and serve you are held to a higher standard so the fact that you are getting frustrated at what the public is saying speaks to a larger issue with police as a whole. And you could see how a lot of police just based on this, you can take this small incident, this singular separated incident by this police officer who got frustrated by people uh, talking to somebody else and uh, disrespecting for lack of a better term, this police officer. This how, may have nothing to do with him and how, fr- was, right. And nothing how, to do with him and how frustrated he got 
you can see how that could fold or, or translate over into how police interact with people, specifically black folks, black because people. if these officers that are held to a higher standard that have been trained in all of this uh, uh, de-escalation have been trained to use threat as only as a last resort. But if you can't control your temper because somebody talked to you a different way or specifically didn't answer you in the way that you expected them to answer as a police officer, I can 100 percent see how that folds over into how police treat civilians who, quote unquote, don't listen to them. You know, I could definitely see that because of this one little issue. You can see how that will fold over. You can see how tensions between the public, specifically black folks and police who are supposed to be held to a higher standard. And the whole operation is to protect and serve how that tension can build up. It can build up. It can build up and it build up to what we see today because right. go ahead. No, and I'm just saying that's exactly right because you've had all this training. This is your profession. This is what you've chosen to do. This is what you get paid to do. This is what you were trained to do. And you're expecting people who are already in um, a situation where they're already scared or threatened or are on edge and you're expecting them to be the calming force when you're supposed to be the calm. You're the one who who is trained in conflict de-escalation and you just get all, I just don't understand how you are expecting civilians to remain behave, calm and cool, remain calm and cool when you can't even remain calm and cool when you're the one with the taser, you're the one with the badge, you're the one with the gun, you're the one with the authority, and you're 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 responding in the same way. Right. I, I just I it just doesn't make any sense to me, and it doesn't make any sense to me how people don't get this. Right. Right. You don't get it. You know, it's just like you you as a authority figure are held to a higher standard. And if you can't behave to that higher standard, I can, I can understand why people want to defund and dismantle the police because the little stuff like this can tick you off. I can imagine how you feel. I can, I can, I can't imagine. I can see how some of the results that we've been seeing with the police in the, in the recent um, news and all the recent stories, I can see how that builds up and builds up and builds up because again, um, you know, barbers and beauticians, they have to spend all these years and all these months and all this training when police, police officers nearly not as much. And they are faced in, you know, I'll give them police officers credit every day. They are faced with situations to where it could go a thousand and one different ways. I it could be anyway. I get it a hundred percent. So if that's the case, then y'all need to spend a little bit more time training. And if we need to put a pause on all this funding or we need to put a, a, a more restrictions on how you are trained, if that's what's going to make you as a police officer feel better about your situation, so you'll be better trained to handle a dude with a camera talking about put that badge down. I bet we you know, we can square up. You'll be better hand be better handle be a, better able to handle that situation. But it seems like cops don't want to go through the extra training. You can see in Georgia how police officers are the calling off. They had. Yeah. Right. They're calling off and taking days off because they're now all stressed out about all this extra attention and how they're being treated un unfairly. It's like, OK, so let me get this straight. 
you are ready to quit your job and for walk being off held accountable. for being held accountable because you have extra frustration on your job. But when somebody gets injured or somebody gets killed because of the actions that you've taken, you want to hide again, proverbially and literally hide behind your badge, hide behind the late police unions, hide behind this qualified immunity, hide behind the idea that you your life was threatened. But, you know, you don't give us the same the ability to hide behind our right, right right so if that's the case then we need to dismantle this thing and start over and the thing is what i think people are missing from this whole defund the police conversation because i don't know if you've seen them but there are commercials that i'm seeing now where it's you know if we defund the police you won't have any protection what they're what defunding the police is is taking money from that you give to law enforcement and placing it in other areas. There's um, an, a graphic going around where it's like ice cream scoops. They're scooping from the billions mm-hmm. of dollars that these police, you know, funds have, and they're giving to giving them to education. They're right. giving them to mental health. They're giving them to other resources that have been proven to be the reason why there's high crime in certain situations. Right. And um, I'll read briefly from it, but you can definitely go to um, Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez. Mm-hmm. So someone posed a question on her IG. It says, what does an Amer- what does an American without funded, with defunded police look like to you? And I'll read the first part of it. She says, the good news is that it actually doesn't take a ton of imagination. It looks like a suburb. Affluent white communities already live in a world where they choose to fund youth, housing, health, etc. more than they fund police. These communities have lower crime rates, not because they have more police, but because they have more resources Mm -hmm. to support healthy society in a way that reduces crime. Now, she goes on to be, you know, in a bit more detail in the in the image um, in her response. But. The, the police is already defunded, like she said, in affluent neighbors, where they, if a, a child or a teenager gets in trouble or does something harmful, in a black community, they automatically go to jail. Mm-hmm. And in a full community, they get counseling. They call their parents they because they know. Mm-hmm. They uh, diversion programs. They call the parents to come in and help. So there is already a model of defunded police. Defunding the police does not mean taking the police away. Right. It means giving more resources to other organizations to create a better society. To, right. To, without to, right. Violence. To create a better community to where uh, heavily armed police are not as needed. You know, right. a, a lot of people think that, well, the, like you mentioned, the reason why uh, more affluent neighborhoods are a low crime because there's more police presence. No, like you mentioned, I mean, it's just simple and straightforward. The reason why they're low crime in these areas, is because they have access to better resources. So if you give better resources, whether it be health, whether it be mental health, whether it be actual health care, whether it be, you know, financial, uh, educational, economic resources, after school programs, mentorship programs. If you build up the community with all these additional resources, there will be less crime. Therefore, Mm -hmm. there will be a less need for police. But the funding has to come from somewhere. So instead of giving these police officers all these tanks and all this, right. Right. And why you need billions of dollars when if you get frustrated, all you're going to do is call off of work anyway. So why do you need and all that extra money? If you get frustrated, you're going to just shoot somebody and say, I was afraid. Right. So, 
Yep. So I get it. So, yeah, again, this story was in jest, but it does kind of point to, you know, a larger issue. It's like the nerve of this dude who one thought he could just put out this post on social media and they completely backtracked. Right. And then got surprised at the response. I'm like, oh, you didn't think that people. Like, what did you think you're coming at people <laughs> already in this hostile, supercharged environment that people are not going to say, okay, let's pull up. Right. Right. Then he got, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. I didn't mean that way. Right. He right. got in the voice tremble. You have to what? Uh, you have to watch the video. Yeah. Because we... you can see it's so hulking. He's like, you know, the Hulk all in the camera. And the next thing he's like, David Banner, like, wait, no, right. hey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll put a link <laughs> in the show notes to where um, I found this story from uh, Facebook from another podcaster that I uh, frequently watch. And they kind of uh, put the videos up side by side and they add their commentary to it. So definitely yeah. check that out on our website. Yeah I, saw, so. yeah, I saw it on IG. That's where I saw it on uh, his IG page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So shout out to them. So. All right, uh, that's it for we had for for the culture. So it looks like Nika is coming in for a tip that she was kind of uh, forced to, to do as it relates yeah. to our show, our guest host uh, spot on uh, DTNS. So she's coming up with her tip for the hookup. So let them know what you what you were able to do. So what I was able to find is so DTNS they do um, audio and video streaming, and like when I record when we record the podcast. If we're recording anything, I like to be plugged into an Ethernet port to ensure, you know, a consistent, uh, you know, connection with no dropping or anything. So I record typically from my Mac Mini when, since we've been being remote normally, you know, I'll have, when we were recording at uh, Terrence's, you know, I'd bring my laptop and go that way. But um, I don't have a webcam on my monitor in my office downstairs for my Mac Mini. So I went to, you know, Best Buy, I went to Micro Center, I went to Target, Walmart, looking for a freaking webcam, and nobody has any webcams. I'm assuming because more more people are working from home now. Everybody's working from home now. (laughs) Right. So there are no webcams, and even the ones that I found online, they were hella expensive. I'm like, bro, what the world? So uh, shout out to one of my friends, Andy. She listens to the show. Um, She, I was talking to her about it. And if you have a DSLR camera, I have a Canon T5, you can convert your high powered, fancy, you know, DSLR camera into a webcam. So um, there are a couple of things. We'll include the link in the show notes. If you have a a Canon camera, they came out um, in the end of April, I believe, with a webcam utility that you can download and convert with this piece of software your your high-powered fancy camera into a webcam. So the thing with this utility, it only works with specific versions of, um, of Canon products. Even though my particular version was not um, covered in the, in the list of acceptable um, cameras, I downloaded the closest version to mine and it worked anyway. Okay. So, um, so I have it. It starts with um, for the Rebel series, which I have. We'll include the link in the show notes that lists all of them. So the closest um, camera to mine was a T6. I have a T5, so I was like, let me try downloading the T6. Um, after much effort, I was able to get it to work, and I and I saw some other people saying that T4s work as well. So the caveat is for my particular instance. 
I was not able to get it to work with the webcam as a webcam on the Skype uh, or Zoom uh, desktop application. I was able to get it to work with the web version of Skype and the web version of Zoom. Oh. So that right. So when you when in the in the Skype app itself, when you open it up, it says no camera found. Mm-hmm. And um, we'll include a second link. There's a, a couple of workarounds that you can use for other cameras if you don't have a Canon or if your Canon isn't compatible that you can that you can do as well. So, um, you know, after fidgeting around, I was pretty annoyed because I couldn't get it to work. And then I was Googling, I was looking around and it, it, for some reason, it worked on the web version. So when you went to select the camera, it, the drop down said, you know, Canon webcam utility, you select that the camera comes up, the, the video looks crisp. So all to say, if you do have a DSLR camera and you have, um, if you want a high quality image, even though you may have a built-in camera on your laptop, if you want to switch it to a better quality camera, get the web utility. Um, uh, we'll include a tutorial as well. As uh, uh, I found a tutorial that is, is very helpful to kind of walk you through setting it up, even though it's fairly straightforward. Um, but yeah, so I was able to use my um, DSLR crime camera as a webcam to record um, DTNS. So I now have my camera usually stays in its bag in a closet somewhere. I now have it set up on my desk. Um, Apparently when I bought this camera, I bought a whole bunch of accessories. So I was digging through my tech closet and I found a nifty little desk tripod. So I didn't even have to buy a new tripod or use my big one. I could use a mini one. So, So yeah. So if you don't have a quality webcam and you do have a quality camera, you can definitely flip it and and use it as your webcam for your laptop or desktop. All right. So with this Canon web utility, you don't have to have a Canon, but you have to use the web version of Skype or Google Meet or whatever in order to utilize this. Is that correct? In, in my particular instance, but there are some people who were able to get it to work in the desktop applications. I'm not sure if I couldn't get it to work in the desktop applications because technically my camera version wasn't a supported version mm-hmm. or not, but it's something to try. If you do have one of the supported versions, you may be able to use the desktop applications of Skype or Google Hangout or Zoom or any other of those conferencing type systems. It's just when you go to select your webcam, it's your typical drop down. You click the drop down, and instead of saying the camera name, it'll say Canon Webcam Utility. Gotcha. And that's what you select. So, all right, yeah. all right. So you kind of have to kind of play around with it depending on the type of setup um, that you have to get it to work. But it definitely uh, comes in handy. And I was a little concerned before um, when we recorded on Monday if my battery is going to hold up, but the battery life of constant streaming from a webcam. It's like an uh, hour and 40 minutes. So, um, you know, it's all good if you just want to go off the battery or if you want to get the, you know, if you have the power supply for your camera. Gotcha. So, so, so that time frame worked for DTNS. It definitely will not work for <laughs> Snobboy's podcast because we're already at an hour and 50 minutes. So uh, yeah. if we oh, decide... 
Right. So if we ever decide to, uh, we'll eventually get around to it. But when we decide to do video, we got to make sure you have your joint plugged up. So when we go right. video, you, we and won't have you just I'll blank out. On screen. <laughs> All right. So we'll uh, make sure to. Shortly, so I'll be prepared. All right, so we'll make sure to put that utility and the tutorials on our link. They'll definitely give that shout out if you wanted to, you know, get started on your video streaming or podcasting capabilities. For we'll YouTube definitely put that video, up there. Whatever you need for, yep. it works all the same for all that good stuff. Yep, yep. All right, so I think that is it for this week's show. Uh, definitely download, rate, and review us. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Google Podcasts, and Spotify. You can engage with us on the social medias. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SnobOSCast. If you definitely want to leave a comment or suggestions, you can do so by dropping us a uh, shout out on the web at SnobOSCast.com. Or you can shoot us an email at SnobOSCast at gmail.com. Other than that, I think that is it for this week. Peace. Bye. Bye.